welcome to the Advance Your Art podcast, where we talk about the journey from artist to entrepreneur and everything in between. You've worked hard to hone your craft. Now take it to the next level with tips, techniques, strategies, and routines used by successful artists to grow their businesses and careers. Now, let's get started and have some fun with your host, Yuri Cataldo. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Hi, Yuri. I'm excellent. Thanks. That's wonderful. That's what, that's my favorite answers for today uh, because I don't hear that as much these days. So for my audience who is less familiar with what you do in your work, how do you describe yourself and what you do? Sure. So I consider myself to be a very diverse individual. I have a lot of interests. Um, I really consider myself to be a lifelong learner, someone that really enjoys that process. Uh, I really started out uh, my younger years being a figure skater, went into physical therapy, and now I'm exploring the uh, business analyst and scrum master world. So um, I just have a lot of different interests from photography to hiking to traveling. So I don't really feel like I necessarily fit in a box, but... Mm -hmm. Um, if I had to, that's the one that I would pick for myself. <laughs> Wonderful. Okay, excellent. I'm glad you hit on all those three points because those are the three, the three things that I really want to talk about today. But I first would like to start with the figure skating part. So figure skating, and obviously you are quite talented at it, um, and we'll get into that in a little bit. But what first got you interested in figure skating? That's a really good question. And one I didn't even have the answer to until <laughs> maybe 10 years or so ago. Um, okay. I started actually taking lessons when I was in kindergarten. So I was about five years old. Mm -hmm. And apparently it was my grandmother that wanted me just to learn how to skate. Because I'm from Wisconsin and we do have very long winters. And it's really a great sport for people to be able to do um, in the wintertime. Obviously, there's not as much to do. So... I started taking lessons, like group lessons, um, did that until I was about in the fifth grade. So I was kind of a late bloomer to the private lesson um, field, so to speak. Um, mm -hmm. And then just kind of kept continuing on with that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so what is it? So, you know, and if, if I'm, I'm only going to speak for myself and not for other people, but figure skating usually comes across my vocabulary once every four years during the Winter Olympics. Um, and then, you know, you watch it and everything looks looks beautiful and exciting and then you kind of forget about it after that. Uh, but there's always <laughs> talk about like the judges and they're like, you know, how they're scoring things. What is it like from the other end of that? Like what's the, you know, the life behind the scenes of being a professional figure skate? Well, well, a figure skater. Yeah, so it is really a year-round sport um, that a lot of people don't really realize. And I think a lot of people, to your point, think about it, you know, in a four-year cycle. But every year there's a world championship. Every year there's a Grand Prix. Every year there's, you know, national championships. Um, but behind the scenes, um, it's invested a lot of time, a lot of training, a lot of early mornings, um, mm -hmm. weekends at competitions. And 
a lot of um, a lot of falling down. And eventually you get past that and you stand up more often than you fall down. That's always the goal, right? Mm-hmm. Land on one foot. Um, but from, you know, I didn't really grow up in the Mecca of figure skating. So I did have a little bit of a slower start, but, um, you know, from my experience, most skaters have ice, you know, 12 months out of the year. Um, when I was growing up, I actually had like summers off for the most part, which is like unheard of. If you want to reach the top level of figure skating, like that is your life three to four hours a day, you should be training. And I, you know, growing up in a small town in Wisconsin, didn't have that opportunity. Um, So I kind of supplemented that with other sports, which was great. I think that really helped me, um, you know, as a child and young adult develop my strength really holistically. Um, But there's, like I said, a lot of early mornings, Mm -hmm. um, definitely some tears in the process, Um, a lot of really exciting moments. Um, You know, the the day-to-day grind definitely um, comes into play for a while. It can be a very challenging sport. Mm-hmm. Um, different people progress at different levels. It's also a very expensive sport. So if you come from a more affluent family, uh, odds are you just have more access to other opportunities. That really wasn't my my case. Okay. Um, but I, my family definitely supported me, and they d- did the best that they could with what they had. Yeah. How long did you figure skate for? And when did you decide it was time to hang up your skates? Yeah, so I started at age five. And I really, um, it's been about a year since I haven't skated much. Um, So I had a very long career, so to speak. And um, I skated all through college. Um, that was actually one of my favorite collegiate experiences. And I think one of my favorite life experiences, actually, because a lot of people don't get that opportunity. Uh, when I was a freshman at the University of Wisconsin, I joined the synchronized skating team, hmm. which is very different than what a lot of people see at the Olympics because it's mm-hmm. a big group of skaters. It's kind of like a combination between synchronized swimming and figure skating. Um, now that sport is gaining more popularity. They have world championships. They're trying to get it into the Olympics, um, but it's very, very different because you're on the ice with many more people than one to two. Right. Um, but I did that for a semester my freshman year, and it just uh, wasn't necessarily the greatest fit for me. So mm-hmm. uh, I decided I wanted to kind of give that opportunity to, to somebody else. And then my sophomore year, I formed um, – the freestyle team or figure skating team, uh, the collegiate figure skating team, where we could all compete, like you see on the Olympics, um, different levels. And mm-hmm. that has grown tremendously um, throughout the United States. I think girls, when they finish high school, and even boys too, they're realizing that they invested so much time into their sport, especially to get at a pretty high level, a lot of time, a lot of energy. Um, and they don't just want to give it up. And I think that's awesome. That's how I felt. I felt like just because I graduated high school, you know, my love of my sport, my ability to progress and learn shouldn't just stop. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why I formed that and did that for three years. And then I, uh, skated, I had a gap year between my undergrad and grad school. So I skated a fair amount then. And then I went and got my doctorate in physical therapy, which um, severely limited the amount of time that I um, had and the uh, amount of money that I could dedicate to my sport. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I ended up um, reaching the, the top level actually after graduate school. So not that um, long ago, which is pretty rare 
Um, I don't know how many people wait till they're as old as I was, which was pretty, uh, it was pretty geriatric in the skating world, so to speak, but that's okay. Um, it kept me, kept me young. It kept me driven. Um, and then I didn't want to just reach that level and then kind of be a one trick pony and stop. Mm -hmm. Um, there was more that I wanted to do. I felt like I hadn't even reached my peak yet. Um, so I kept going for a little while and then being an adult, there's this thing called work and, uh, real life responsibilities and, uh, knowing that being uh, ice queen of the world or Olympic champion was probably not in my future at that time. Mm -hmm. um, it just kind of made sense. And from here, one of my next goals really, I mean, achieving um, the senior level and freestyle and moves in the field was definitely a lifetime goal of mine. Um, but the cherry on top I'm considering going back and doing is um, dance. So solo ice dance. Which I've done some of that in the past, but that would be kind of the next, the next yeah. achievement. I'm my personality is not really one to rest on my laurels, so I'm kind of a person that's always like, "Hey, what next? What yeah. next? Can I do this? Can I do that?" So, um, <laughs> that's carried over into other areas of life too. But it, but it's fun. I just never wanted to be stagnant really in any area of life. So yeah, well, that's wonderful. That now. Yeah, that's great. So um, okay, so you said you you know you you hit kind of your let's say peak or at least at the top of your your career a few years ago. What does that again for the the novices such as myself who are only really familiar with the Olympics? Because you mentioned that you were not in the Olympics. So what does that mean? So U.S. Figure Skating has different levels from the very basic two year old that puts on a pair of skates all the way up to the people that go to the Olympics. And there are different names for each level, um, but the top one is senior or gold. Okay. And once you pass that test, you're then able to go to the Olympics. Um, even at lower levels, they'll have like junior Olympics and nationals and other competitive circuits you can participate in um, if you qualify for those. But um, that is the top level that I achieve a lot. A lot of people aim to do that, but not yes. a lot of them do. Well, congratulations. Uh, Thank you. It must be hard to step away when you're already at the top. Yeah, um, it is, but it but it isn't. I ended up moving to a different city. Um, my coach, who was phenomenal, that got me there, mm -hmm. uh, also moved away. So we were doing some uh, FaceTime lessons, which yeah. was quite interesting. But it actually, I actually learned a lot from that experience. I think when you don't have someone right there next to you, kind of helping you, you have to take a little bit more ownership for what you do. Um, so it just, things kind of just happened and it wasn't really intentional. Um, I still skate every once in a while because I, I really do enjoy it. It's great exercise, mm -hmm. um, but just not at the level that I had before. It's also pretty hard on your body. There's been a lot of talk about that recently with these young girls um, and boys too doing quadruple jumps and things like that. Just the impact that it has on your body and um, it definitely keeps you strong, but there is some of that too as well. Yeah, I can imagine. Okay, so okay, so let's talk about your parallel career then, uh, physical therapy. So what originally made you interested in becoming a physical therapist? Yeah, so with figure skating, uh, unfortunately, sometimes you get injured. So <laughs> you then go to physical therapy. So I, I think, you know, my story in that vein is not very original, but I had had therapy myself uh, for some various injuries. And... I just thought it was really great. Like I love my therapist. I love the fact that it was an athletic environment. 
-hmm. And I really gravitated towards that. I'd always loved science. I love the body. I love being active. You know, I also played softball and soccer and just like recreational sports with my friends growing up. And I felt that physical therapy aligned well with my passions and my interests. Um, I thought about medical school, but didn't really think that I would necessarily get in because I did work very hard for my grades, even though physical therapy is very competitive these days as well. Um, I also didn't know if I wanted to dedicate eight years of my life to then have to go and specialize in something else. So I didn't know if that was exactly the right path for me. Um, but physical therapy kind of seemed to blend that medicine and health component with my athletic background. Mm -hmm. Excellent. So what what was it day your day-to-day -day like, I guess, with the physical therapy while you were still a professional skater? Like how did that, how did you balance that your careers <laughs> simultaneously? Yeah. So Mondays were always the hardest. I would get to the ice time the last like handful of years I was skating. Ice time would start at 530 in the morning um, on Mondays. And then I would skate like 530 to 730 approximately. And then I would go to work. I'd have a couple hours off and then I'd go back from eight to 10, which actually worked really well with my work schedule. But that last hour, nine to 10 PM was a little bit, uh, a little bit challenging, but sometimes I really felt that that two a day combination was great. Cause I was really warmed up in the morning. Mm -hmm. Um, so I was skating during that time, 10 ish hours a week, just depending on my work schedule, because being a physical therapist, sometimes you do have to work weekends. Mm -hmm. Um, so, and then sometimes I'd like to skate weekends and that didn't always match up, but, um, a lot of early mornings, a lot of 5.30 a.m. ice time, and then I would try and get my workday finished um, by 4 or 4.30 so then I could hit some some evening hours as well. Yeah, wow, that's that's uh, it's quite the demanding schedule. I can see why that could be hard on someone's body to, to constantly do that seven days a week. Yeah, I didn't skate at 5.30 every day of the week, okay. but it did get to be a bit challenging. I mean, working 40 or more hours a week on top of that, um, yeah. you know, I, I can find myself really getting into like that flow state. I know a lot of elite athletes and high performers talk about getting into a flow state. And I think just with having a certain uh, schedule and rhythm has always really helped me, like knowing where I have to go. Um, and I'm a firm believer that like we can all do more than we think we can. So I know for the most part, when I put a lot of things on my plate, I can manage it and I get a lot of things done. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, rest is very important um, for health and that there's good to have unscheduled time too. But for me, I was just really able to kind of figure that out as I was yeah. going along. Yeah. What about your your diet? And since you because you mentioned health on this one, like was there is there was there a particular type of of eating or meal plan that you would follow? while you were training versus when you were actually competing or is it just, you know, keep it consistent throughout? How did you approach, uh, I guess, nutrition that way? That's a really good question and a really hot topic that I think varies for a lot of people and a lot of people have opinions on. So I am not like, I don't have a degree in dietetics or anything along those lines, but for me, it was always about um, giving my body the best advantage it could. So eating more whole foods, um, good sources of protein, you know, eliminating bad fats. I personally have never jumped on, you know, a keto diet or an Adkins diet or anything along those lines. Mm -hmm. um, I have 
taken a genetic test to figure out um, what foods that my body uh, digests well or that will lead me to stay at a healthy weight versus gain a healthy weight. So that actually helped a lot. And it was funny because I didn't do that until I was uh, in my 20s and it kind of aligned well with how I thought my body operated at mm-hmm. well before. Like, mm-hmm. um, I know for a lot of elite skaters, like having a really good um, diet base is super important because you're training so many hours a day um, and you want to make sure that you're getting enough calcium, enough protein, you know, healthy fats are really good. So, I mean, whenever I kind of get that question or I've worked with other people, it's like, if you're having challenges with this, like seek a professional, that's why they're there. Yeah. Um, that's not myself. But <laughs> balance, balance is key. Yeah. Yeah. So the genetic test you're talking about, um, what's the name of the company that you went to to get that done? Oh my gosh. That's a really good question. That was a while ago. I can't remember. Um, it's on the tip of my tongue. I know when we get off this, I'll, we'll, uh, (laughs) you know, pop right in my head, but off the top of my head, I can't. Okay. That's okay. If you, if you remember before I release this, then we'll, we'll put it in the show notes. So it it may be a secret surprise for the listeners. Um, Right which is great. Okay. So, okay. So in what you're doing career wise progressed to from physical therapy to what you're doing now, which is a uh, scrum master. So for the listeners who don't know what that means, <laughs> what, what is a scrum master and what made you want to stop being a physical therapist and try something else again? Oh, that's a really good question for sure. So, and, and one that's difficult to understand, to, to explain to people. So um, the word scrum comes from rugby. So a lot of people are familiar with that because I'm like, scrum, what the heck? What does that even mean? Um, but it's a kind of like a project management role where you seek to really optimize workflows and lead teams. And um, there's a framework for Scrum, which a lot of companies are adapting to because it allows you as the employee and the team, because I work with a a team of people to produce working software to really grow the people on your team, to grow the organization, and then to actually save the company a lot of money and to produce a good end product Mm -hmm. really quickly. So it's for the people that understand what project management is, it's kind of like that, but it's kind of not. And the reason that I went into something different, which is really funny because a lot of people, I, a lot of therapists specifically are like, why would you ever want to do something other than physical therapy? And then there's a whole other group of people that are like, yes, I want to be getting a position that's not clinical because being a clinical physical therapist where you're treating patients day after day, it's a very demanding field. So those of you that go and see physical therapists, whether it's like you have a family member that sees them in the nursing home or the hospital or outpatient clinic. Um, they do a lot of behind the scenes work and there's a lot of other demands. And I, you know, nurses and doctors, they do amazing, amazing work. Um, and I think they get a little bit more credit than physical therapists do. Um, and, and rightly so, like I said, they do amazing things, but I think that the work that physical therapists do sometimes gets a little bit, um, swept under the rug. Um, but I, I definitely love the profession and the career. And I still do a little bit um, of work at a hospital because I, I definitely enjoy that patient population and I enjoy the diversity. Like I said, that's kind of how I describe myself as someone that enjoys really unique, really diverse experiences. And 
I was really feeling like a handful of years into my career, I kind of reached my peak. Like there really wasn't much other direction I could go. I could get a certification and invest a fair amount of time and money into doing that, but that would still kind of pigeonhole me into what I was doing. And I felt like I didn't have a lot of really um, ways to grow and move. And I felt kind of stuck in my career. Um, and I've, I've been really fortunate throughout my whole life, not only just in skating, but in other arenas to have really great coaches and, and mentors. And, and that's one thing that above, you know, all else I'm really, really thankful for because it's helped me in so many just different areas of life. And I had a couple friends that were working as like business analysts and scrum masters and just hearing like how that type of working environment was like how collaborative it was and getting to work with people and growing together and learning and stretching yourself and being okay, being a little bit vulnerable with people that you work with to really serve the greater good, just really fit my personality. So I learned a little bit. I thought a lot about it because if you go and get your doctorate and then kind of pivot and make a career change, it's can seem a little wonky, a little unique, but, um, like, Hey, why, why not roll with it? I feel like I've been a little bit of an unconventional person, you know, my, my whole life, um, to a certain extent, but, um, yeah, took some certifications, um, started working on some projects and really enjoyed it. And that's kind of where I am today with, with that piece. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. So, uh, when you chat with your coworkers, do you ask that they refer to you as doctor? You know, that's really funny. I, I don't. Um, a lot of people actually don't know that physical therapy is a doctorate. I know a lot of times if you go and see a chiropractor, they call themselves doctor so-and-so. Mm -hmm. For some reason that hasn't reached the physical therapy world. I mean, there are a lot of opinions on that. I don't really care, but um, sometimes people don't realize, or, like I've had older patients ask like, oh, do you have to go to school for this? And I'm like, yep, you know, I, I actually have a doctorate. <laughs> which is funny. I mean, that's okay. Yeah. I'm not, not one to really, you know, need to have a title or anything like that, but it's kind of, kind of humorous because there's a fair amount of education that goes, goes into getting that degree. Mm -hmm. Oh, that definitely, <laughs> definitely is. I mean, you have a, a doctorate. That's uh that's not a, an easy a task. Um, so yeah. Okay. Okay. Good to know. Um, so one thing I'd like to follow up with is, is throughout your career, the idea of how you approach fear. So, I mean, obviously as a, as a figure, figure skater, there's the physical fear of, of falling when you're trying something new, but even then, you know, you have started in one career and then jumped to another career. There has to have been some kind of apprehension at some point of, you know, am I making the right career? Is this really what I want to do? So in instances in your life where you come across times when you're fearful, how do you approach those and how do you overcome that? That's a really good question. So, I mean, going back to my figure skating days, there's a ton of fear. I mean, learning a new jump when you go from a single to a double to a triple, that's like a whole different animal in and of itself. And you can definitely physically get hurt, like you said, but a lot of it comes down to your mental state and really controlling your thoughts and really being mentally strong and like knowing that it's going to be okay. Um, so yeah, step number one, there's been a lot of fear. I mean, you can do something perfect in practice a million times, but you put on that outfit, you do your hair, you do your makeup, 
you have your five minute warm up, warm up, they then call your name and it's like the lights are on you. Like that is a big blank surface of ice and there's just you. Um, so you really have to take control of your thoughts and not let the negative negativity creep in. Um, I think that if there isn't something in life that you're afraid of, you're probably not stretching and growing enough. Mm -hmm. um, that doesn't have to mean, you know, just on the ice. I think that whether that's in your, you know, personal life, if that's a certain goal you're reaching for in your career, um, obviously taking calculated risks, but I mean, I, my approach to fear is, you know, go for it. You'll figure it out. You know, make sure that you have someone to support you and that it's, that it's a calculated risk. If it's a really, really big one, you know, that could cost you financially, things like that. But yeah, kind of how I have, at least in the skating world. And then when I kind of transitioned careers, it was definitely scary. Um, and like I said, I thought about it. I didn't try not to overthink it, but I also marinated in it a lot. And like I said, had really great people supporting me and guiding me through that process. Because I think if I would have, you know, completely switched and gone into something like, I don't know, being a musician or something that would have been a lot more fearful and taking a lot more time because I haven't developed that skill. So you said something interesting that I want to go back to um, that I think is particularly important, especially as we're recording this episode right now in 2020, and that is the idea of being mentally strong and knowing that it's going to be okay. So on your, in your figure skating world, being mentally tough, um, how did you develop mental toughness so that you could keep moving forward no matter what? That honestly was probably my biggest challenge. Um, I had always been pretty athletic as a kid. So being strong, you know, jumping high, working on the flexibility a little bit, that wasn't the biggest challenge, but it was controlling my thoughts and not falling into a negative spiral. Mm -hmm. um, because skating is a very unforgiving sport. I mean, you watch it on TV in the Olympics, they can zoom in on that camera to any part of you that they want from your facial expression to exactly where that blade hits the ice. And if it is more than a quarter, that is an under rotation and that's downgrade. And the whole world knows about it in an instant. Um, so yeah, where was I going with that? Um, so it's a very unforgiving sport. And what I've realized, like I've messed up a lot of times to get to that senior level for me took years and years. And, um, there are times I never thought I was going to do it. Um, there's one time I even fell just like skating backwards. I mean, it's ice, it's slippery, crazy things happen. Um, but you kind of have to have amnesia. Like that's the one biggest thing my coach taught me when I was performing is don't get ahead of yourself, be present in the moment. That's all you can control. And then if you have a stake, have a, or make a mistake, have amnesia, forget about it there's still things left, even though that mistake happened. That's kind of one of the unique things about figure skating is that if you fall, you just can't redo that jump. Like you miss points on that. You just got to keep going on. Um, yeah. that's, that's how the sport works. But, um, yeah, knowing that it's like, it's all going to be okay. Um, you know, people that do wood Olympics, they spend a lot of time, um, in, with counselors and meditating and things like that, which I think are really powerful just to bring yourself 
really centered and knowing where you are. I've done some of that as well. And it definitely makes a difference. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's thankfully it's becoming more popular in society. Um, yoga, meditation, things like that to really like, calm yourself and center yourself, get to know yourself. But yeah. Are, my approach. Do you have any particular, let's say meditations or, mm-hmm. or practices um, like that, that you recommend or that you continually do even now? Yeah, so I started with a few apps. Um, there's a an app called Buddhified that was recommended to me. I started with that because it was very different for me. Um, I had never meditated before. Um, visualization is also really huge. And it's really funny because I've noticed when I'm afraid of something, I will have in the past tended to visualize the negative. So if I'm going through my program and every skater's program is very well laid out, they know exactly what they're going to do, when they're going to do it, like on what beat of the music. And in a program, if I'm visualizing that and I visualize myself falling, like I have to stop over and train myself to not think negative about that, to start over at the beginning and to make it through that whole program with landing perfect jumps and perfect spins and everything being perfect because that's ultimately like what I want to create. I think the mind is really powerful and there's something to be said for what you think you do create. Um, so if you're afraid of falling, if you're afraid of, you know, getting fired or whatever, you're more likely to create that. Mm-hmm. When you were going up or rising the ranks in figure skating, did you have like a, a, a I want to say a performance coach, I guess, in this way, or was like that would focus with you separately on your mental strength and kind of getting you centered with that? Or or did your, um, I guess, your traditional coach cover a lot of these bases at the same time? Yeah, that's a really good question. I unfortunately really didn't. Um, growing up in Wisconsin, in a smaller town, not as much of access to nice things. I call them nice things, but they're really important if you want to get to a top level. And I mean, you talk with like, you know, any elite athlete or any um, leader of a fortune 500 company and they have people like that, Mm -hmm. that help them train their mind, which is really important. Um, I didn't have that. So mine came down to do a lot of pep talks before and after competitions, which is great. um, But doesn't allow for an athlete or person to consistently develop those habits. So, I really struggled with that and I was not a good performer um, really until like my last handful of years of skating. Like it was terrifying. I stressed myself out. My mom stressed me out. It went both ways. It got to be a little interesting sometimes um, because I really wanted to do well. And I put a lot of pressure on myself mm-hmm. and I took a lot of just self growth. It took a lot of like heartbreaks on the ice and other areas to just, really grow into who I am and be okay with kind of whatever happened. Um, and I, I started reading a lot more of like positive, like, you know, PMA, positive mental attitude books like that. Um, you know, some people like them, some people don't, but I know for me, it really just helped change the way I think, because I think in society as a whole, if I want to throw a blanket statement out there, um, it's a lot easier to be negative. And if people say, Oh, just be positive. People sometimes kind of find that annoying. I mean, if you're going through a tough time and someone says, hey, just be positive, it's okay. Like you said, right now in 2020, there's a lot of uncertainty. If someone says, oh, you know, it's okay. Like, just be positive. Like, no one really appreciates that. But I knew that 
even if I wasn't positive, if I took away the negativity, mm-hmm. I was going to be way ahead of where I had been. Um, yeah. So there's that. Um, my last coach was really great at building my confidence, um, also allowing me to build my confidence in myself through training um, and just developing that consistency and like making me do it. Like, mm-hmm. you know, figure skating looks very well packaged, but there are some, uh, some high volume conversations as there should be. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I, that's what I appreciate. Like, that's what I wanted from, from her. I wanted um, someone that was going to be there to push me to see my weaknesses, to make me grow stronger. I think that's like really what any good coach or mentor does because they know what you want. They want to help you get there. Um, and you as an athlete or a mentee or uh, however you want to call it, you have to be okay with that and knowing that they're doing their best for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's really hard for people Yeah. sometimes. What were some of your, or what are some of your favorite books on, on mental toughness and kind of this subject? Oh, good question. Um, I just finished a book called Mindset, um, which is really gaining popularity. You can see it in um, Targets and Friends and Nobles all over the place. Um, I'm actually doing a book club with a group of ladies on the seven habits of highly effective people. You're smiling. Are you familiar with it? I am. Yes. Okay. That's a great, that's a great book. Um, there's another book that I really like called the slight edge. And I like that book because it teaches you how the really small decisions that you make add up over time. And we see this all the time when it comes to saving money or your health or your attitude and mindset, like those small decisions seem pretty not important and consequential on a daily basis, but you add them up over time and they make a huge difference. And that's like why I like it because a lot of times we see people and it's like, well, in the Olympics and figure skating or, you know, doctors or um, people that have reached a high level of success in any industry. It's like, Oh, overnight they were able to do something. Mm -hmm. But in actuality, it's sowing those seeds small seeds day after day after day and then ultimately like they end they end up where they are yeah wonderful um so with everything that you have done and experienced so far what would you say has been the best advice that you've ever received yeah the best advice i have ever received uh is really that in life you only have one shot you know we don't know how long we're going to be here Um, hopefully it's a long time for all of us, but you only have one shot. So go for it. Um, for me, I've also had advice along the same vein to find people that are really invested in me, in myself. I think that's great for everyone to find someone that invested in them, um, that knows where you want to go. And of another recommendation I've had that's really shaped me is figure out what you want in life. And then once you figure that out, go for it because you only have one shot. Um, and a lot of times that comes with being uncomfortable, being out of your comfort zone. I mean, there's been many times in my academic career where you're going into an exam and you feel really out of your comfort zone. It's like, man, I really hope I pass this because if I don't, I'm not going to graduate mm-hmm. or skating. It's like, I'm learning a new technique. Um, it's outside of my comfort zone, but that's really the best advice I have. Wonderful. Well, Lauren, thank you so much for taking the time today to chat with me about this. This has been absolutely fantastic. 
if the listeners would like to follow you online or see more about what you're working on, where is the best place they can go to do that? Yeah, the best place is either um, my LinkedIn account or uh, my Instagram for now. Still working on getting a website up and running, but that's to be coming. Sure. Um, so LinkedIn, I can put in the show notes, also Instagram, but yep. um, for listeners who don't click through to that, could you say both of those aloud? Yeah, my um, LinkedIn is just Lauren Vermillion, and then my Instagram is L Vermillion. Okay, wonderful. Awesome. Well, again, Lauren, thank you so much. This has been absolute pleasure. I mean, thank you, Dr. Vermillion. Uh, <laughs> oh, geez. Thank you so much. I absolutely enjoyed our, our conversation. So thank you. Yeah, thanks, Yuri. Thanks so much for allowing me on your show. It's, it's awesome. And I uh, hope I added some value for you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Advance Your Art Podcast. If you like this episode, please go into iTunes and give us a five-star rating. And while you're there, hit the subscribe button so that every single time I release a new episode, it will go directly to you without even thinking about it. If you're interested in hearing older episodes, please go to advanceyourart.com where you can find the catalog of everything I've done so far, as well as contact information and projects I'm working on. Thank you again and have a great day.